joy and honor to be able to open the Word of God uh, with you this, this morning. Um, when I look back the last six years, um, basically, just so you can kind of um, get to know us a little bit, did our uh, seminary training uh, up at Southeastern, um, and my wife put me through school as she was a fourth grade teacher, praise the Lord, and, um, and I got my education there, but I feel like I got um, equal, if not even better, education here at, at North Wake on what it looks like to be, um, to be the church. And we were here for um, about three years, um, and there were people who poured into me while I was here, people like um, Mark Lederbach and uh, Drew Hamm, Jake Mason, guys that uh, beat up on me a lot and tried to sharpen me and taught me how much I don't know, even though I read a lot of books in seminary. Um, and so I was or ordained here and then commissioned out in 2006, and we went up to Richmond, Virginia, to a church uh, on the west end of Richmond called Grace Community Baptist Church. We served there in uh, youth ministry for the last six years. And uh, it was an incredible experience of just a real, genuine, uh, loving community there at Grace Community. But there was always something that uh, is this DNA that we like to call it here at North Wake. It's this DNA that kind of gets in you, and once it's in you, it just doesn't leave. And uh, for those of you who, um, I don't know, haven't been many other places, it's, this is a unique place. This is a really, really special place. And the Lord's hand is on North Wake. And uh, you may not even realize that now because the trees are too, too close. But when you step back and you just, it, it, this, is, this is a phenomenal place. And you're part of something huge that God is doing. Um, so I just want to remind us of that as we get started off. So uh, a couple years ago, uh, we were doing great in student ministry. Uh, ministry's growing, and we're really learning a ton. And then uh, the Lord began to put something on our hearts regarding church planting. And we, could, we, didn't really make, we couldn't really make a lot of sense out of that. And so we just began to pray a little bit. And then we, our prayers became harder and harder and harder. And then um, through a series of events, as we began to pray, I... I was down in Raleigh at a conference, and then on my way back up through, I happened to get lunch with uh, Jake Mason and Jeff Doyle and uh, Mark Lederbach. And just, just so you know, um, be very, very careful when you decide to get lunch with those men, because uh, they have plans for your life. No, they, <laughs> they, um, they're men who are walking step by step in the Spirit. And if you, if the Spirit is leading you, and the Spirit is leading them, um, it was like this perfect storm that kind of came together, and uh, the Lord had almost given us a release from the place that we were serving, and the Lord, and so they, they just listened to as, as, as I was expressing some of that to them. Then Jeff began to sort of communicate to me about this church planning residence, and it was kind of funny because we're sitting at, the, at this table, and as I'm, as I'm sharing, Jeff and Mark keep like looking at each other just kind of like laughing, which I'm used to. I'm used to being the butt of the joke. But, but they were just kind of, it was like they had an inside joke about me. But apparently it was like the spirit was just leading in that very moment and had been leading us in that very moment. And it was just the perfect timing had come together to pursue this church planning residency. So we began the process of uh, basically closing out life in Richmond. Um, and that was a process where uh, we were very diligent about um, equipping leaders and training people at Grace 
to where we could leave and it would be seamless as we left. There was no bad blood or anything there and it was a beautiful, beautiful picture of how um, you can go from a place and not leave a place. And uh, so that was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And then um, put our house on the market in uh, around the holidays in this great market which we're experiencing. And the house sold, the Lord sold the house in 35 days uh, when houses all around us had been on the market for months and months and months. And our house wasn't anything special. Um, and that's just the Lord who just overcame every obstacle to get us to be right here. So I sit in a room in January with these seven couples who are in this church planning residency. And I look around the table and I'm just like, what? Why, why am I here? And I told those guys, I was like, I'm just, I'm just humbled to even be in the conversation. Northwake has trained up some incredible families here that are in this residency that are about to be flung to plant local churches and um, maybe some international churches as well. Um, and so I just find myself, when I think about six years ago, sitting, I used to sit always over there. I had my own little seat, but nobody better not sit there. That's my seat. And, and I thought, like, there's no way. I could never imagine myself standing up and preaching in North Wake. Like, I don't have a sweater vest. Like, I don't know <laughs> how to do that. Um, but, uh, but, but it, you know, in six years, guys, couldn't imagine that. And, and even still, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening, but it's a true honor um, to be up here. And you know, I just, I have to give a ton of credit to people who have walked alongside of us through the, through the process. And I wish I could sit down with each one of you and tell you um, the long story, because the long story has just been absolutely incredible. The Lord just saying, I will give you enough light just for this next step. Will you lovingly obey a loving God? Um, and we just step. And then he just gives a little bit more light, and then we step. A little bit more, and then we step. And we say, Lord, I just, just give me like four or five at a time. He's like, no, 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 you can't handle that. I'm just going to give you two steps at a time. And so, and then I come here, and we're doing a sermon series on uh, loving obedience to a loving God. It's like, okay, that makes sense. Um, and I remember when I told my parents, we, my parents live in uh, Richmond, and so it was difficult to uh, leave leave the grandparents and leave the parents. And I remember I, um, in the process of telling them and we asked them what they thought about it and my dad said, you know, you guys can move to the Amazon but if you're doing what God wants you to do, we are your biggest supporters. And that's the kind of parents we need to be. That's the kind of parent I want to be. That's the kind of dad I want to I be when my kids are flung across the world for his name's sake. So I'm just very thankful for my family and for those who have kind of walked alongside of us along this um, journey. So Jeff Doyle has asked me to preach, uh, why church plant this morning? Um, why church plant? Big question. And we're going to try and hammer it in about 25 minutes. So uh, when I think about that, I was reminded of something that happened about five years ago to me. Um, how many of y'all own an Apple computer? Does anybody own an Apple computer or a MacBook Okay, um, I about five years ago owned. I was a PC guy, and you know there's sort of a there's sort of a battle between the PC world and the Mac world. And the Mac world, we we think we're I mean we're kind of snobbish. Let's just be honest. Okay, we are. And so uh, me and 
and me and my uh, worship pastor, I was a youth pastor, my worship pastor, Greg, we decided the youth ministry needs a MacBook because that would make us cool. And the uh, worship ministry decided they needed a MacBook as well. And so we went to the Apple store. And, you know, the whole experience at the Apple store, you're just kind of wondering, even before you go through, you're like, am I even cool enough to go in this place? You know, it's just like next level coolness. And so we walk in, and they don't, they don't have employees in the, in the Apple store. They have what are called geniuses. And you get a personal genius who comes, and he talks to you, and he starts asking you questions like, so you know, do you know what you're looking for today? And so you're like, mm, I don't really know. And so you kind of start making stuff up. You're like, well, I guess I need some, some RAM and some, some gigabytes. And uh, I need apps. Apps are cool. I see those on TV. And uh, I need uh, the cloud. Give me the cloud. I don't even know what the cloud is, but apparently it does all things to all people. For, so, so I begin kind of talking with my personal genius. And I just say, I need a laptop. And so he... Uh, he goes in the back, and he gets this specialized laptop for, for me, and he comes out, and, uh, and it comes in this box, and it's sealed up, and he says, uh, I'd like to take you through a demonstration or a presentation of your new, your, your new laptop. May I break the seal? And I'm just like, are we in heaven? Like, is this, what is this, you know? The seals are being broken. This is crazy. And so he breaks the seal for me, and they, they pull it out, and he's got, he basically is wearing, like, white gloves, you know? And he pulls the thing out, and it does this, like, you open it up, and it's got this presentation for you. It only happens once. But when you open it up, it does this thing. It's like, welcome to your new life and stuff. And there's like these galaxies spinning on there. And you think you're just like the upper echelon of mankind. You know, you're like, I have finally arrived. I am a Mac. I, and, and you're looking out, and you're seeing all the PC people walking. You're just like, give me a break, PC people. Um, and so it takes you through this whole experience, you know, and then he closes it back up, he puts, he puts it in the box, and you're walking out in the mall, and you, and you feel kind of big, like I have arrived. I've got a glowing apple on the back of my computer, and I want people to know it. And, uh, and so you're walking through the mall, and you got your bag, and it's like everybody's cheering for you in the mall, and they're just like, look at him. And you're just like, yeah, look at <laughs> At least that happened in my head. That's what was going on. Um, so... But you get home, and, and we, me and Greg, we both got home, and, you know, I was kind of playing on my, on my MacBook and stuff, and it's awesome. You know, you got all these Macs. It does everything for you. It's so intuitive. It, like, it's like it knows what you're thinking and stuff. Um, and then my buddy Greg calls me, and he says, so how's your, how's your, um, how's your Mac? And I was like, oh, it's great. You know, it's, it's perfect. It's all I ever dreamed of. And he goes, well, my, mine's not doing all that well. I was like, why? He said, well, everything's doing fine except for just one, one key doesn't work. I was like, really? He said, yeah, the, the Y key doesn't work. The letter Y. He's like, I'm typing along, and just the Y key doesn't work. And I got to thinking about that when I look back on it, and I think there's times in our lives when we just go through certain experiences. We have kids. We go to seminary. We graduate seminary. We go to a particular job. We get married. And all the while, we kind of have this question in the back of our mind of like, why? The W-H-Y. Why, why, why are we doing this? Why do we get dressed up on Sunday morning, get up early? It's a day off of work. Why would we come and sit in this room and try and act like we're as happy as Daniel Cresswell? Like, <laughs> it's not possible, okay? 
It's not possible. But why? And I realize that coming into some, something like church planting, it's a very dangerous thing if we don't answer the why. Why are we doing this? We could end up years down the road, be pushing that button and wonder, I mean, and just think, we, we never knew why we were doing this, and here we are with this thing that we're trying to maintain and figure out. So why church plant? There are, there are many reasons why uh, we, should, we should not church plant. There are some real um, poor reasons, uh, some being uh, maybe just Jeff Doyle tells us to, or uh, we just have so much money at Northwake, we don't know what to do with it, so let's just plant some churches. Is that the case? Yeah, maybe not. Um, or just a pragmatic reason of we're, we're running out of room here and we need to clear some people out. We need more seats, so let, let's, let's plant a church. Um, while that may be true, that's not a reason why to plant a church. Or maybe, maybe there's certain things about Northwake that you don't really like. Maybe you like 95% of it, but it's that 5% that you're like, ah, just, I'm not that crazy about it. So maybe if we created a version of Northwake a local version of North Wake that had all the things that I love, but let's leave that other stuff back there on South Main Street. It's like North Wake 2.0. This is going to be great. Bad reason to church plant. Uh, maybe these guys in the, in, in the residency, we're all late 20s, early 30s. Uh, maybe we're just, we've experienced so much. We know everything, right? And so, uh, maybe we're just burned out on the established church and we say we can do it better than the thousands of church planners and pastors who have gone before us. No. But sometimes you hear that mentality on church planning. It's like, man, I'm so burned out on this thing. We're going to do it this way and it's going to be flawless. It's like, yeah, until you show up. It's very arrogant. It's an arrogant stance that I've found my heart going toward. That's why, you know, it's funny, but it's, but it's, it's convicting for me. Um, the most convicting, I think, is just right now church planning um, is kind of the cool thing to do. You know, it's kind of just trendy a little bit right now where we, we, we want to get a new cool church plant and have a cool venue have cool, like, church planner facial hair and uh, maybe, like, cool glasses, black rim glasses, you know, and, like, maybe some frosted tips and stuff. Um, and maybe, you know, wear, like, these cool urban flannel shirts, have a, have a cool logo and a venue, and maybe we'll meet, like, in a movie theater. We'll smell the popcorn while we worship, and it'll be awesome. Um, and we'll only have Macs, obviously. We will not be a PC church. Um, but... And maybe it's just our chance for these, these residents guys, you know? We're like in our 30s, we have kids, and we're starting to notice we're not that cool anymore. Maybe this is our chance to be cool again. I remember in, in youth ministry, uh, one time I was wearing uh, Timberland boots, okay? And uh, this kid says, hey, are those Tim's? And I was like, no, these are mine. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, dude, Timberlands. I was like, oh, okay. I'm officially not cool. So it doesn't take much. I mean, look, I'm like wearing khakis. You know, who wears khakis? So uh, I, I'm, I'm aware that I, I'm not cool, but maybe this is our chance, man. If we plant a church, then we'll be cool. And those are things that start to kind of happen in your heart when you think about church planning. And it's really squirrely. You know, the adversary is really squirrely. He's saying, I want to I bypass the why. 
and I want you to plant it. I want you to plant a church for some, some uh, lesser reason than what the Bible is saying. This is why you, you plant a church. Um, so to figure out why uh, we plant churches, uh, we're going to go to Titus 2 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Titus 2. This is a one-point sermon, which is good. Uh, very, very good. That's the way we're going to do it in our church plant. One point every Sunday. That's not true. Um, well, the, the one point is this. Church planting is right in the middle of God's gospel and God's mission. We church plant because it is right in the middle of his gospel and his mission. And what I want you to see in this Titus 2 passage, it, it's a familiar passage in Titus 2, 11 through 14. It's just this presentation of, of the gospel. And what happens is you see this church planting thing rising up from right in the middle of, of the gospel, okay? So let me, let me just remind us this morning of what the gospel is, and let's see how church planting rises up from right in the midst of it. And then within that, you also see the mission, the mission of God. A little bit of context <clears throat> on the book of Titus. This is written by Paul, uh, and he's writing to Titus, who was tasked to uh, point elders in various places. And uh, in chapter 1, it is just much of... It's much of that where he's given us the qualifications for these elders which he was called to appoint. Um, and then in chapter 2, he's very, very concerned about the doctrine of these, of these people and the doctrine of the church. And so he begins to identify certain people like older men, older women, husbands, young, young women, children, younger men, slaves. He starts to tell them, this is how you need to do community together. This is how you do um, discipleship in the training of each other. It gets down to verse 10 in chapter 2, and he says, um, so that, that's always a big phrase in scripture, purpose clause, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So live in this particular way, so that in everything you do in life you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And so we see this kind of like, oh boy, we're about to, we're about to get into the gospel here. Um, so to help us do, do this, what I, what I want to do is I want to use um, this kind of four-part uh, fr framework of the gospel and then we'll just kind of work through these four parts uh, we are saved by the grace of God from the wrath of God to the people of God for the glory of God Okay, by, by the grace of God from the wrath of God to the people of God for the glory of God and we're just going to see this rise up all through this passage Titus 2 uh, 11 through 14 for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we need your spirit um, to come and to light um, on fire the words that are before us. God, I pray that we would be a people who are driven by a why that is rooted only in scripture. And we would rally behind that which you rally behind. And that is yourself. So lead us to that end today. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we are saved by the grace of God, verse 11. Uh, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation 
for all people. This is just a really important place for us to start. Really important place on any, any discussion of the gospel to say we're saved by the grace of God. That's the opposite of that is by what we do or what we offer to God. Say, I'll give God my 51%. He can provide the 49% and then we have salvation. That's not the picture here. The picture is of, of, us, um, of us in a pit and it's not Jesus saying, I came down, let me, let me toss a rope down in, in the pit and you work really hard at climbing up in there and so I saved you with the help of your good works or the help of your energy or efforts. No, the gospel, the fact of that we've been saved by the grace of God is Jesus coming down, being, being one, one with us, going down in the pit, lifting us up out of the pit, and then taking our place in the pit. Okay, it is it's just like in Deuteronomy where he's saying, remember, 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 remember. I feel like Paul's saying the same thing there, saying, remember, this is not your doing. Remember that. It's the grace of God that saves you. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift. In verse 14, uh, it says, He gave himself for us to redeem us uh, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. And so we have this picture here of he gave himself. He is the actor. Okay? He is the subject of this deal. He's the one doing the work. Okay? It was done on us. So we needed that something that was outside of ourselves to step in into our world and save us. So we're saved by the grace of God, then uh, we're saved uh, from the wrath of God. Verse 12 and 13, training us, again, the grace of God is the subject, grace of God, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, our <coughs> of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're saved from the wrath of God, and the wrath of God is on this old lifestyle, this old lifestyle of ungodliness and worldly passions. In verse 14, the lawlessness that it talks about there, what that deserves or what that earns is the full wrath of God. The full wrath of God where we dethrone him and God says, I will go to great lengths to take my throne back and I'll pour out my wrath on you. But by the grace of God, we're saved from that, from that wrath. And the beautiful picture here, again, is just um, how the grace of God also trains us. It's kind of like it's the scene from like Biggest Loser, you know, where he's there just in the gym, just get trained. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, and then waiting it trains us to wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in the past, we see that uh, the grace of God is training us to renounce those things which were in our past, to say farewell to those things which were in our past. It trains us how to do that and how to do that on, on, on a daily basis. And then it trains us to, in the present age, right here, right now, to live controlled, upright, and godly lives in the here and now, and then in the future, to long for that coming Christ, which we sang about earlier this, this morning. So we got Jesus, 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 grace, grace, grace. 
The gospel is not, as Tim Keller says, it's not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A through Z of the Christian life. But the danger is here in our understanding of the gospel. It's we think oftentimes God has saved me by his grace from his wrath so that I can live this life maybe on my own and to go after it really, really hard on my own. But here, rising up out of this passage, notice this. We are saved to the people of God. Okay? Verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. For himself a people. So these, these persons which God is redeeming are redeemed into a people. That's why we gather here. Okay? Um, why do we church plant? Nathan Knight and Joey Kraft, who are up at Restoration Church in D.C., which is a church plant of, of North Wake Church, um, one of the things they kept saying to us when we, when we went up there a couple months ago was they just kept drilling in our heads. Church planting is building a people, not gathering a crowd. Building a people, not gathering a crowd. If, if you take notes, that's one to write down. Building a people, not gathering a crowd. Anybody can gather a crowd. Gathering a crowd is one of the easiest things in the world to do. I was in youth ministry, okay? I understand. If I want to gather middle school boys, just get a bonfire and a truckload of pizza. That's it. That's all it takes. You got middle school boys just coming, okay? If you want to gather middle school girls, just invite Justin Bieber. If you, if you want to gather grown men, get a bonfire and a truckload of pizza, right? <laughs> yes. It's the same thing. Some, some things never change. But to plant a church well, uh, you must understand her well. You must understand her well, her being the church. You've got to understand who she is. So what is, what is a church? Is it this? This is the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors, and then what? Out come the people. What I teach my, my children is this. This is the church, which is the people. <laughs> That's a pretty cool steeple. So the church is persons. Okay, this is crucial. The church is persons who God is making a people. See that? Persons. A people. The steeple just points to him. The best expression of a people is the local church. Let's just trace this. Let's kind of skip a stone across Scripture, and let's trace... Um, God's desire and God's passion for a people. Even in, in the beginning, you see in creation, um, God preparing a place for his people. It's like a, it's like a nesting mother almost, um, if I can say that. Preparing a place for her baby. Okay? We've been there three times. It's kind of a scary place to be, actually, because don't, don't get in the way of a nesting mother. Um, but God's preparing this place in that creation story before people are there, this place for a people who are his treasured possession. 
in Deuteronomy, man, we've seen this so much um, through, this, through this study. Deuteronomy 7, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was also in chapter 14, as Larry uh, preached on last week, and also in chapter 26, we see it again. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, okay? As he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all nations that he has made. So, And that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. 1 Samuel 12, 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. That's, that's a great purpose. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Sounds like Titus, doesn't it? Psalm 102, 18 says, Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Malachi three seventeen says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, <clears throat> in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then a beautiful passage, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so what you see here is God's heart beating for a people, okay? It's beating for a people. But what you don't want to miss, and this is the thing that I think that we miss as church planners a lot of time and even as just ministers, we miss this, that the people are persons, and they're actual persons. Um, I find a lot of church planner guys, including myself at times, say, man, I just, just have a real heart for the city, want to see the city come to know God? It's like, well, what's, what's the city without people, without persons? There's a bunch of buildings and stuff. So do you love the city? Or do you love church planning? Or do you love persons? Persons with a face. Persons with skin. Persons that pay for car insurance and mow their lawns and they have in-laws and they use conditioner in, the, in their hair. And they have bad breath. And they have misplaced affections. Um, they sing in the shower. These are persons. And the thing the Lord continually challenges me, and I know I've talked with a lot of these church planner uh, residents guys about it, is like, man, do we have a heart for these persons? Do we love the persons that are in Haiti? The persons. Not like... We love Haiti. We love the persons in Haiti, you know? Uh, listen to how Charles, Charles Spurgeon says this. He's talking about this, this passage. He says, this passage really means that believers are Christ's own people, his choice and select portion. Saints are Christ's crown jewels, his box of diamonds, his very, very, very own. He carries his people as lambs in his bosom. He engraves their names on his heart. They are the inheritance to which he is the heir and he values them more than all the universe. He would lose everything else sooner than lose one of them. You are Christ's men. You are each one to feel, I do not belong to the world. I do not belong to myself. I belong only to Christ. I am set aside by him 
for himself only and his I will be. The silver and gold are his and the cattle upon a thousand hills, but he makes small account of them. The Lord's portion is his people. And as the church, we're part of that people. It's persons who this God redeemed to be a people. Actual, some actual persons I want to share with you. Uh, when we were up in D.C. with Nathan Knight and Joey Kraft, um, some of our church planners from here, uh, we met a couple guys in their apartment, uh, two guys named Alec and Mike, and uh, they invited us, or they invited them to come and to have coffee with us after dinner one night. And, um, and these are guys who once were not a people. They were persons. And because of Restoration Church and because of the ministry of North Wake sending Nathan and Joey and their families, now these, these guys, Mike and Alec, are part of a people. And they're fired up about it. They've got energy. They're excited. And they're working with other guys, discipling other guys. Um, and that's, that's thrilling. That's what this whole deal is about. That was the best part of that whole trip. That's like one of those things that will just stick in my mind forever, us sitting around that dinner table, just hearing these, these young guys with energy and passion. And they're like, I think one of them is maybe a lawyer, another guy might even be a politician. I don't even know. But they're not like full-time pastors. They're just like, we, we're people. You know, and so I think about them, and that's what this whole thing is about. That's the DNA here at Northwick. That's that DNA that just kept pumping in my heart for six years when I was away from this place. It's that DNA of, are we going to have a legacy as spiritual grandfathers? Where, yes, I disciple my own children, but I'm not so concerned about my children as I am the people who my children are going to reach for Christ. And then the four, they're going to reach for Christ. And then the four, they're going to reach for Christ. Who am I looking to? Am I looking just to this person? Or am I looking three or four down the road? That's motivational. That's church planning. That's who we are as a body here at Northwick. And I hope you feel that. I hope you feel that DNA just pumping, man. Um, really good. But with that comes a real tension in church planning. You say, and I understand it, and I think we handle it pretty well here at North Wake, but it's that tension of, man, but, but I love Nathan and Andy Knight. Like, I don't, I don't want them to leave. I love them so much. I just wish they were here with us forever. And that's, that's valid. I mean, I, I understand the emotion that's in that. I think Tim Keller helps us some here where he says, church planning helps us keep our minds on the kingdom. It's an exercise in kingdom-mindedness because when we train up others and we send them out, we're a sending church here at Northwick, in case you haven't noticed. We're a sending church. And what happens with that is the tribe here may go down, but the kingdom will go up. The tribe may go down, but the kingdom will go up. Where, which one do we care about the most? Tribe or the kingdom? We may lose a Nathan and an Andy in this body, but we gain an Alec and a Mike in the kingdom. How good is that? So my question is, how bad do I, as a church planner, long for guys like Mike 
and Alec? Or how much do I just want, how much am I just hurt that I lose Nathan? Um, just so we are sure on this, just so we're all clear, um, as much as we love North Wake, and, and like I've said before, it is really good to be back at North Wake. It is really good. This is a really, really special place. Um, but North Wake is on, North Wake on South uh, Main Street is not the hope for this city. It's not the great hope for this city. Jesus Christ is the hope for this city. And various incarnations of him and his bride are the hope for this city and this world and this nation. It's why we fling people. We fling them to plant churches. It's a natural pro progression, just like in the Great Commission, where it says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. You can't separate the mission of God from the people of God. To baptize means to incorporate into a local body with accountability and boundaries. So to go, just preach the message, is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is church planning. It's about persons becoming a people. So um, the beautiful thing here at North Wake is this is not something that just these residents do, these church planning residents and elders do here at North Wake. We, we are church planters. This body is a body of church planters. And so we're in kind of a unique um, setting right now where the Lord may be raising up a couple local churches from within this residency where uh, North Wake may be launching a couple local bodies and um, some international ones. And uh, the Lord may be tugging on your heart over the next year and say, what if, what if I asked you to go with them? Not because it's going to be North Wake 2.0, but because you're very concerned about, Lord, where is it that I need to be so that your kingdom would see the greatest growth? It's a great place to be. So we're saved from, or sorry, saved by the grace of God, from the wrath of God, to the people of God. And then there's this great why. Remember the why key. Why? And the why is in verse 14, for the glory of God. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, for himself. So we see here a picture of God is jealous for a zealous people in Raleigh and in Czech and in Tampa and in D.C. and in Haiti and in India merely for the fact that he is worthy. He's worthy. He's jealous for the affections of his people. And he wants them to be zealous for good works. He wants them to be zealous for him and his mission. Imagine this. Imagine if uh, my wife of nine years, it'll be 10 this summer. Um, imagine if some, some dude, some dude just kind of came along and stole her affections from me. Imagine that, imagine that, your own, your own wife, your husband. Somebody steals their affections. Um, what, what would I do? 
would I, would I just kind of say, well, you know, he's, he is a nice guy. Look at him. He's handsome. I don't blame her. No way. I have a covenant relationship with my wife. And I would go to great lengths to make sure that her affections are toward me. And so here's the, here's the situation, okay? In, in Raleigh, all around us, Raleigh is growing very, very fast. Um, but in Raleigh right now, in Raleigh and in the Czech and in Tampa and all these, these places, um, something else is grabbing the zeal of persons. And when that happens, God will pursue them. It says he gave himself up to redeem. That's an active God going after these persons because he longs for them to be a people. Northwake, church planners, Ed Martin, do I long for people to be zealous, for those persons to become a zealous people for good works. That's what church planning is about, making much of him. Why church plant? To make much of him in every pocket of this planet. We're saved by the grace of God, from the wrath of God, to the people of God, for the glory of God. North Wake, our why button is not broken. We know exactly why we're doing what we're doing. We may not know exactly what we're doing, but we know why we're doing it. Okay, we're doing it because we are church planning because it is in the very fabric of the gospel and the mission of God. So the question is this, can we lovingly obey a loving God? We've heard the command. Um, we all play a part. We are the church planners. Are we a zealous people who long to see persons become a zealous people for that which matters most? Let's pray. Father, as we were reminded uh, this week uh, from some of our um, church planning brothers that, um, God, apart from Christ, let nothing dazzle us. God, we want to be a people here at North Wake and at all of our church plants who are utmost, foremost, passionate, and zealous for you and your name and your kingdom. Not some cool church planning strategy. But God, we want to be people who are being transformed to, be, to look more and more like Jesus. And God, we believe that in doing that, in allowing you to do that, you will grow your church. You will grow your kingdom. God, thank you for entrusting us with such a high task. It is incredibly humbling. that you would call us to do anything for your name. So God, we um, just say again that these cities don't need more buildings, more steeples. These cities need a people who look a lot like Jesus. So make us like Jesus. Give us direction as we walk forward in this upcoming year. Lord, lead us as one for your name's sake. We love you above all. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen.